up to go with the wall of her. Let's stick in the shinty bowl to break the brack, the crack, and all. Let's call it an Irish pub. Caffrey's hey! hardcore, can you pop the Guinness pint of cabbage crack? The I don't want to be paddy trapped. We'll call it an Irish pub. Welcome to episode one of the Pubcast. My name is Brendan O'Neill, and I would normally be joined by Mike Cross and Michelle Riley. But in these first few episodes, we are revisiting our previous podcast, Boardwalk Breakdown. Basically, we're shutting down the Boardwalk Breakdown podcast and moving those 13 episodes over here so we can keep them alive and well in our archives. So, the Pubcast is our new podcast where we'll talk about all kinds of stuff and not be limited to only talking about Boardwalk Empire. And it will actually begin on episode 14. So just consider these first 13 episodes as bonus content. Slancha. Welcome to the Boardwalk Breakdown podcast featuring Michelle Riley, Michael Cross, and me, Brendan O'Neill. Basically, we're fans of the HBO show Boardwalk Empire, providing some analysis and silly commentary. If you have any comments or questions, you can contact us on Twitter, at Boardwalk Break. Enjoy the show. So I want to start before everything started. Okay. Oh, okay. I want to start like season one trailers, previews. Okay. When were you when were you in with this show and what drew you to it? I can say for sure the first commercial I saw for the HBO little teaser trailer of you know, thirty seconds for the show. I was in to get from the first five seconds. You saw Jimmy Dormady with the uh, gun in the lobby or something with a right. hat or not. I don't remember. Because uh, I love the Prohibition era. Uh, I'm all. I love that stuff. I've done some research about it. I have another project I'm working on. That I want to talk about, but really, yeah, I, I, I'm working on a book that I've been working on for I don't know five years, and I've never gotten any further than the first few pages of it. Well, I think but, that um, whole, yeah, that whole Spats era, it. the I Prohibition era, the Flappers, I mean, some of this stuff goes back to even yeah. college, having touch points on that. And, I love it. Uh, the beginning of it for me really became when I saw those trailers with Steve Buscemi, who happened to be one of my favorite af- actors at the time, still is, uh, because he's typically playing an off, right. off-the-rails character in some way. this is very straight way. for him. It's straight, but this is a character who is off the rails. Right, right. There's no question. He's right. playing a straight man in a, you know... But I mean for his for Yeah, choice. for his character. And as soon as you see, I, I think for a lot of people who weren't in, when you see uh, produced by Martin Scorsese, well, okay, that's you're in. I it's always, you're in. So I'm going to say that I actually probably read about Scorsese's working on this project and yeah. it costs eighteen million dollars and yeah. it's a TV show for yeah. HBO. So that's that was honestly eighteen how million for the pilot for the episode. Yeah, for the episode. Yeah. Um, that's how I came to it because you know pretty much you say Martin Scorsese and I'm I'm in right there. Secondly, you've got Irish and you've got mafia. Okay, <laughs> number two, all I'm in right there. Um, I will say though that all <laughs> in all, the show is a lot darker. And more ominous than I sort of expected really? from Scorsese. Yeah, I thought it would be as bad, if not worse. Yeah, I, I think I because that time was like that, right? And I, I mean, but it's also got there's you can totally do a, a happy whitewash '76 trombones version of sure. this too, you know. But, but Scors- that's not prohibition. That's the '20s. That, yeah, right. And you know? that's not Scorsese either. That's the right. other thing. That's kind of the giveaway. I mean, maybe there was a thought there that, and I I could see how you could get there. You're like, oh, the Sorry. you know the Roaring Twenties or you know the Prohibition right, right, era, the 20s. fun, yeah, the yeah. um, 
But as soon as I see Scorsese and I've got Steve Buscemi, I'm in. I mean, I'm in. I know what's going to happen. There's going to be a lot of quality killing going. On. <laughs> I'm in, and yeah, and I'm in. So well, I knew right away. No shortage of that. Yeah, body for, count. I mean, I don't know if there was something in between. There probably was, but this is effectively on the heels of Gangs from Gangs from New York, Gangs which is York. another classic piece movie. Yeah, Fantastic, absolute masterpiece. Amazing. I'm like, oh, and the Jimmy Dormady character kind of oh, looks like. Caprio a little bit. There's a little bit mm-hmm. of you know, kind of tied in visually, at least a little bit. I would, I never thought of that. I loved it. I did right away. <coughs> I never I saw thought. Like, oh, of it's, that. A, it's a Caprio it's kind of a Leo lookalike. Yeah, yeah, right. He found the cheaper version of Leo. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if we want to jump the shark on that, but the Jimmy <laughs> thing is like. I mean, I to me, it seemed like they were building the show around him as much as Nucky from day one. All right, so that's a point Huge touch I want to talk yeah. about. Huge <laughs> touch point. Um, <laughs> Do you remember, I don't know what year it was, uh, the first episode, the first season of ER? Yes. You were brought into the show through the eyes of Noah Wiley's character. Right, right? it was like his first day of work or something like the that? Whole, yeah, it was the beginning of The his... whole first couple seasons, you were effectively seeing things from his perspective as a newbie, oh, a I new would, resident. I, I'm glad you right? Named Carter. Uh, yeah, 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 Carter. <laughs> I actually liked that show then. Yeah. Yeah, everybody I fell did. off the wagon like after a... Season yeah, three, well, four, five, you know, yeah, I'm talking about Jump the Shark. But anyway. So he he comes in as Definitely. the innocent, and you're sort of learning how the ER works through him, because you're watching him do stuff. He's asleep in the, one of the right. surgery bays or whatever. Um, surgery bays. Bay right. one. L- listen, I know this is a shock. You got a gallbladder in bay one. I am not a, a doctor. medical person. I have no medical background, <laughs> although I have some... Freelance. Pharmaceutical Pharmaceuticals we can talk about later. Yeah. Freelance. Um, <laughs> Freelance. Freelance. Um, so I I think Jimmy plays that role in the first few episodes of Boardwalk Empire. He's the innocent. He's just back from the war. Yes. He's coming back into Nucky's world. He doesn't know. He's, he's mad that he's not involved. He's below, yeah, you're right. he's definitely he's below uh, 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 Mickey Doyle on the totem pole. And he's pissed off about it. He's just his driver oh, yeah. now. Um, so, I, that, like, he's the uh, Noah Wiley, Carter, whatever. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, he's is. standing in for you, I guess, the, yeah. the viewer, yeah. right? So, discovering what's happening in when the When he finds out stuff, you find out stuff. Yeah. Um, all right, so season one, let's jump into that. Okay. We're, we're basically already into it. Um, $18 million for the first episode. The trailer. Crazy. The, uh, Absolutely uh, crazy. Yeah, the, uh, the pilot, right? Yeah. Can we first say the theme music? Oh, it's is great. brilliant. It's great. Who wrote that? Do we you know? You know, it's Brian Jonestown Massacre, I think. Really? Yeah. Um, I happen to... And I always like it. It's one of those... It's very long. The open to that is very long. And I find myself listening to it. What I love about it is how much it does not match the time. Right. Yeah. I it's know. so out of character for the the era that we're dealing was with. Was that song I mean, written for the show? It or was I believe not. It, it existed I, before, right? It existed yeah, before, it existed but prior. do you remember that old song, Must Be the Season of the Witch? Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. And yeah. Um, that was actually featured at the end of uh, the Nicole Kidman one, To Die For? To Die yeah, For? Yeah, yeah, To Die For. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, every time I hear the Boardwalk Empire song, anyway, that's the song I think of because it kind of has the same progression. But anyway, I digress. Go yeah, ahead. yeah. So in watching these DVDs, and and I'm a sucker for the commentaries. I don't when I buy I buy these things specifically for the <laughs> for the commentary. The commentary. Yeah. yeah. Right. You've already seen the show. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so I just want to hear them talk about it. 
uh, one of the things that jumps out at me is that everyone always talks about the opening scene and the bottles and the, yeah. the rolling the tide. The water, yeah, the tide. How some of that's CG and whatever. Um, the next thing they talk about are Nucky's shoes. Yeah. Love Buscemi them. gets stopped everywhere he goes and asked about the shoes and where really? to find them. And people are... Now... Mike and I are obsessed with these shoes. Yes, I am. I mean, I need, totally. I need to own one of these pair, and I, I won't pay six hundred bucks for them. What? What? What kind are they? They're like, I forget. Are they it's Ferragamo's like or Fiorentini. Fiorentini. It's oh, some sort of uh, Italian, Italian maker. maker. They're six hundred plus a pair. I'm like, whoa. I, I smell I, a birthday present. I would. Oh, Forzieri. Forzieri, <laughs> and they're extremely six hundred and thirty bucks. I mean, right. well, as my husband would say, you know, two tone wing tip price on a good pair of shoes. Uh, I will agree with him, but <laughs> at six hundred and thirty, no one's buying those shoes in my life. <laughs> Look, I, you know here. what? I'll tell you what. When, they're fantastic. When, we, when I get there, I will. They're fantastic. If I get there, I will definitely be. You know, I I would definitely be. In I the need to enter a please. contest somewhere where I win something. Or I, I mean, look at is, these things. I yeah, they you are people on the podcast shoes. can understand this. That's but a good looking shoe. Does it say? Does it credit the show? Well, you know what? I searched because I couldn't remember. <coughs> I thought they were Fiorentini's too, but yeah. I, then I started thinking Whatever, that they yeah. were. But uh, Forzieri and their um, three Irish people talking about some Italian <laughs> name. Right, right. About and yeah, it's it's like me when I saw Justin it's Timberlake in like the and the the black and white two tone. Uh, wingtips, and I'm like, oh, those look sharp. And I found out they're Christian Louboutins, uh-huh. $975 a pair. I was exactly. like, well, maybe we'll wait. Um, <laughs> maybe right. we'll wait. So uh, that's what I heard from the uh, uh, Blu-rays over and over again. It was about the, shoes. the opening scene, you know, the, the, the credits and the shoes. Um, the other thing before we get into it is that basically these, just like... Uh, Gangs of New York. Uh, this series was based on a book. Right. right. The book is not some great work of fiction right. or whatever. I mean, it, it's like a historical take on how Atlantic City developed. I mean, right. The, the history of. I mean, like Gangs of New York, if you read it, and I, I read it, it's a historical account of how these gangs operated in New York. And there, there's none of, of course, I mean, no surprise, there's none of this character driven stuff in the book. It's all about, right. like, here's how Atlantic City was formed, or right. one that we know today. Um, and, uh, I mean, it's amazing to me the amount of historical accuracy they have in the show currently. It is, and actually that's one of the things that, I mean, listen, I'm from Chicago, so as soon as <laughs> they start having Al Capone in there and the, and the yeah. side story, or and parallel story of Cicero in yeah. Chicago, I'm immediately, of course, Yeah, you get drawn in, that, in right. And I love that stuff, um, yeah. but it is interesting how you'll hear you'll hear you know even uh, Lan- what's his name Lansky, well Meyer Lucky Lan- Luciani, Lucky Meyer, Lan- Lansky. Meyer Lansky, and Lucky Luciano, um, Charlie Luciano, even Joe Torre. I mean, you know all Joe those Torrio. names. Yeah. You know, you know all those names from from real and obviously Chicago mafia history. Well, you know what? yeah, uh, one of the ways that I got into it well before the show when I started researching the book that I'm hoping to eventually write is that uh, I used to live off of Tui Avenue in Skokie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I looked it up just by chance and John Tui was a big gangster name yeah. back in the Prohibition days. I'm like, oh, I, 
I didn't Never realize knew. that the yeah. I thought it was just down in the heart of Chicago. It spread no, it was to all over. Cicero oh, and Skokie really. and the South Side. And the, I mean, yeah. it was all over the place. I mean, to a great point, uh, Dina's family, my wife's family, owns a bunch of property in northern Wisconsin, and there's a there's a golf resort that Al Capone used to right, go right, up right, to. Right. To hide out. I mean, the place is called the Four Seasons. It has been for 100 years or 90 years. And we all call it Capone's. <laughs> that's where he would go and hide when, he was, when the heat was on in Chicago. So Four Seasons, Four Deuces. Yeah, I, yeah. Mean, yeah. I don't, I don't want to take this into like a crazy <laughs> tangent here. But, you know, it's just occurring to me as we're talking about this. I really didn't think this through before. When you think about Scorsese and you think about... Um, you know, his connection to Italian mafia movies, whether it's Goodfellas, um, and then obviously Gangs of New York, when you're talking more about an Irish mafia, although it's not really... Kind of. ...really Irish mafia. And then, then this, of course, it's really interesting to me um, how they are sort of... Casino. Casino. Yeah. Yeah, which might, you know, I guess he was Jewish in there. Well, I mean, he was Jewish, Italian. Right, There was right. a little bit of Irish, but the Irish guy was the one who got, got his head squeezed off. Yeah. It's just in interesting vice. To In me. the vice. Yeah, of course. Of course <laughs> the Irish guy takes the vice. But that's actually, I mean, I don't even know why I'm bringing that up. It's, it's just that, you know, in college I had written a thesis paper on the Godfather and you know, oh, all the metaphors. It. Where is for, that? I want to read it. Oh, I'm sure I still oh, have it See, I did do the right thing. Despite me. Another, gr- another great movie. Another great movie. I wrote a paper on that. And go. Yeah. No, I mean, I lo- what I love about it is, is that it does follow that historical. It does take the historical yes. data. It, <coughs> of course, is manipulating it, right? Scor- right? As only Scorsese can do. But pretty true to the fact. True to the, true to the fact, but by just, you know, like right. shifting Round things 5%, 10%, 15%, 20% mm-hmm. here, there. Just making it a little bit different. I mean, the character Nucky Thompson, there was a guy, Nucky Johnson, who was the primary driver behind this era in Atlantic City city history uh, that drove a lot of this activity during the Prohibition time. So he's following the script. I mean, he's, yeah, Almost based on true story. in the show is a historical figure, right. except Jimmy, I think his mom... And I think Jimmy Richard Car- Harrow. Richard Harrow is probably one of my favorite characters on the show. Everybody else is like a, a real historical figure. I mean, for the most part. Yeah, I mean, I, I even wrote Richard Harrow on my notes just so that I. I mean, we certainly touch. I on heard it, the because uh, you know where writers will put a name, give a, a character a name where the the first name or last name sort of gives a hint to their personality or their mm-hmm. circumstance. Richard Harrow was Richard Harrower hmm. before, but they couldn't. That they kept getting tripped up by the Harrower yeah. part in the names so that became Harrow yeah. because they couldn't figure it out. Interesting, but yeah, um, it's interesting. So anyway, uh, season one, and we're going to go through every episode. We're not going to give it er, not every episode, every season. <laughs> uh, we're not going to give right the highlights the justice because I mean. Each I mean, it's twelve episodes of dozens and dozens and dozens of characters and plot lines. Plot changes, or whatever. Plot, cha- plot lines, plot changes. The basics for season one are: um, the premiere opens at the eve of or on the eve of prohibition. Um, you know, we see all kinds of partying going on, and like the the end of the uh, 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 current time of. of uh, Free drinking, I guess you want to call it, um, <laughs> before the Volstead Act. Um, Jimmy's back from World War One. Um, he comes back to Nucky, and he's mad that he's not sort of 
doesn't have a, a, any sort of status. He's got this injury, he fought for the country. We find out later why he went over there, but um, in season two or three. Um, but uh, uh, he's sort of pissed off, and uh, he's just Nucky's driver. Um, and then Margaret comes into the situation. Margaret <laughs> is, and I'm going to argue she might be one of the more demented characters in the show. I would agree. She. I also find her to be frustrating because she vacillates so many times. Right. She's the only one, I think, I think the only one, maybe sh- short of Richard Harrow, the only one who seems to have any sort of a moral compass. Right. And she throws it away at any whim. Right, which is actually more upsetting than somebody who's pretty straight ahead about their morality. There are intensely despicable people in this show, and she might be the worst because of that. Right, with less integrity, let's say. (laughs) I would would certainly argue that uh, outside of very sideline characters on this show, there is not one character on the show with any redeeming qualities. I mean, it's a strong stance to take. No, I don't know. Start no, they all have some kind of about it. Yeah. No, you're right. And it's I mean, of course, that makes for interesting, right? right. I mean, we don't. I don't want to see normal suburban dad Absolutely. who goes to work at right. nine, comes home at six. Whatever. I'll give you one. She's not a major character, but in the, in the first season, she plays a role. First two seasons, I think. Um, maybe at best, you say it's Jimmy's wife. Yeah. Yeah. She's sort of an innocent. Yeah, very innocently caught at first, up in at least. It. Right. And I mean, yeah. But, but I do think the whole point of how I mean, this is for every drama, right? Nucky, the the show starts with him really having what is clear to be a lot of angst around his past and around his father. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know, the season. I'm getting psychological on this. That's very. Well, good. no, and he well, ends up burning the no, house know, down. You know, talk about burn the mother now. But <laughs> I mean, he. <coughs> And, and throughout throughout everything that happens with Nucky, the truth is you are you are uh, invested in him because you think this might be the time when he reveals his his conscience, right? Every time, you know. So when he ends up with Margaret, you know, you think maybe this is going to be the thing that saves him. And I think he might even think it might be the same. Yeah. Well, I would that argue that he and Margaret are very similar. <laughs> I mean, you know, that constant wave yeah. of. Looking like you're going to do something that falls on the moral side, the, the proper side of the moral line, whatever that moral line might be, or the moral line for the time, and then he f- he completely fails you. Right. And I think it's uh, it's kind they're of a score. Same, I think yeah. they're the same in this first season. In the first season, at least, yeah, yeah. 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 And I think Scorsese drives a lot of his characters like that, and yeah. he has you on this roller coaster throughout. And it's the unique part for this is that. It's not a Scorsese vehicle. It's right. not a movie. Right. It's not a two and a half hour punch you in the gut, uh, you know, kill seventy five people, <laughs> and you walk out of the movie theater either laughing, crying, or smiling, whatever. Uh, it's more of a slow kill on Scorsese's <laughs> part, right? Exactly. So he he constantly burns you with, I'm gonna I'm gonna build you I'm gonna build this guy up right to the edge of where you're gonna really like him, and then he's gonna do something that absolutely fucking drains it. It's right. people who are that thinking constantly. they're doing the right thing, even when they do the wrong thing. Like they they exactly. think they're well, they, they're yeah. just, and that's and the moral not. the moral compass thing is that the bulk of these characters or the uh, the protagonistic characters, right? None of them have that, right? Right. So 
it's really just watching. You know, you're like in a. It's it's like being in a window watching these people exactly completely toy with other people's lives and uh, their own lives in a lot of ways. And um, well, I mean, everybody's trying to get over, right? And I mean, there's nothing new on that, but but it is guised in these ebbs, you know, the ebb and flow of this. So uh, Margaret comes in along these lines, and. I mean, depending on where you are in the, in the season, she comes in and she's got this abusive, she, she, abusive hu- husband Hans. Right. Uh, <laughs> damn Germans every Germans, time. Every Seriously, time what uh, thinking? Yeah. So she comes to Nucky for help, gets some money from him. He takes a liking to her immediately, and then various things happen, and eventually, effectively, Nucky has his, her husband killed. Right. And that doesn't stop her from immediately shacking up with Nucky and moving in and being, or Nucky being her benefactor. Right. And she just wants the good life without any of the struggle to get there. Well, I want I want to stop, as the only woman on this panel, I do want to say, Please. there's a big difference between current day wanting the good life. Of course, of course. And the circumstances that that woman was in. So she needed a benefactor. Or the world she would have been in after her husband was dead. Well. Which would have been. Uh, right. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a, it's a little bit more severe there. She was really, I right. mean, you you could even take the take the tact, you know, make, an, make a play for saying that she was, you know, trying to find a way to provide for her children. Right. Absolutely. And so I Absolutely. do actually think that that was part of the appeal to Nucky because, again, he was going to find redemption in... And taking over these children and, you know, providing this instant family. And boy, look what he did for her. Yeah. So, um, however, he had to rationalize the murder. And, and really, the murder was secondary to the fact that he needed Patsy to right. take the blame for the situation. Um, but he was able to justify all these things because he thought, in the end, the ends justified the means. Yeah. Well, what I love is the word, the word you used in there was redemption, yeah. right? And it seems like that's like a that. constant recurring theme throughout. Is it's like, And maybe that's what I was speaking of when I was right. talking about I the waves. So. Is like these characters are constantly looking for redemption, and they get right to it, and then they immediately claw themselves back down. Right, it's something very Machiavellian about this. Right, right. And and it's character development, and it's character-driven, and I understand why it's done. It just makes for very gripping kind of, you know, roller-coastery ride. I mean, I can't tell you the countless times that I've finished an episode of this and Mm -hmm. sat there with the TV on pause or off or just and started thinking back to what just happened in the 45, 50 and because it's so, yeah, and sometimes I'd even go back and watch a second time so I could catch things that I was missing. Yeah. Um, just very, very compelling. Now, we, we jumped ahead a little bit with Margaret, yeah. but so, <laughs> Nucky's got this girlfriend, Lucy. Oh, my God. Who is a, a fucking train wreck. Love her. <laughs> She's nuts. So, he obviously, she's just there and whatever. Right. Um, he's looking for something more apparently. Um, I mean, there, there's a scene in I think the first season where he, he's talking to whoever, whatever political bigwig, bigwig he's talking to about issues, whatever. And Lucy tries to pipe up and be involved, and it's just a mess. And then that parallels a later scene where uh, 
uh, and, and they make fun in typical 20s fashion, like the women don't have a voice, and they don't know what's happening in the, in the world, right. and blah, 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 whatever. They're just disposable. Whereas when he meets, I think uh, Margaret's bringing him something at the, uh, uh, at, the, oh, at, yeah. at, at the club, Babettes. Babettes. Uh, and, oh, thank you very much. And he, he's sort of See, that's about the 20s. to. 20s, I want to be. I know. Totally. <laughs> about to usher <laughs> yeah. her out. And then one of the guys he's talking to, one of the political allies he's talking to, makes a comment, I think, to, to Margaret. Um, I think specifically designed to sort of trip her up. And then she comes back with a political answer that is actually well thought out and, and, and put together pretty well. And he sh- she shocks the hell out of all the guys and Nucky. And right there, you can see Nucky sort of yeah. switch yeah, the, like, oh, the, the I want to be off. with her. Right. Fuck this Lucy. She's, she's out of control and she's a, a mess. This is the one I want to talk to. And uh, Well, there's some... There's some alluding to a past with with Nucky and there was right. clearly at some point a wife and, and a child I believe mm, yes and I don't know where we stand on that today but I think it's still um, yeah that, I think that's still buried yeah well I'm sure we're gonna find out but um, that's gotta be season five right right, right. gotta come in play but I mean <coughs> obviously there's that um, escapist you know quality well, to like, girlfriend and then they're saying well this might right. work but it's also you know very strategic too it could be good for his career if mm-hmm. she's savvy enough right. to help that situation there's so many ways that, I mean, that could be helpful yeah and it's also Personally, like you know he it, it feeds into his um, ability to feel better about himself yeah. because you know of the good deed he's doing and um, it feeds into the well, sort of pragmatic aspect. Where he of was sort he, of embarrassed to have Lucy by his side. Now he, he sees Margaret as someone who can be next to him and hold her own in these larger conversations. Right. Yeah. It's interesting. Love it. All right. So, blah, blah, blah. We go through all <laughs> kinds of stuff. Um, the season goes on. One of the guys who shows up, <clears throat> who I think in the first two or three, first two seasons is vying for the creepiest character in the show is (laughs) Agent Van Alden. I knew where you were Fantastic. Unbelievable. Michael Shannon. Chicago guy, by the way. He's a creepy dude. He's a Chicago guy, too. He's amazing. So he's got this whole religious fanaticalness to him with his his wife and you see his his whole relationship. Um, But he eventually spirals out of control. Not so much in this first season, but you see sort of glimpses of his (laughs) creepiness. I mean, Michael Shannon's amazing. Unbelievable. He is. But every time I see him, not so much in this first season, but since then, I only think of that video of him with the uh, sorority girl letter where he's talking about, uh, when he's reading the letter. And he throws out cunt punch. Cunt punch. Cunt punch. Cunt, cunt punch. I mean, when I, when, I, when I go back and see these episodes, see, no, I'm like, I oh, my God. Van Alden said cunt punch. Cunt punch. One, one of my absolute favorite points <laughs> about, about Michael Shannon is, is that when Boardwalk Empire started, he was only 36 years old. And the character. Oh, 36. Uh. He looked 46. 40 at least. <laughs> more like 50 plus. I. Uh, 
he just plays that straight man so unbelievably yeah. oh, well. And it's, yeah. all, it's brutal to watch. Yeah. He looks so uncomfortable himself. That well, he looks like yeah, yeah, yeah. he looks That's like a guy who is very uncomfortable in his own skin. Yeah, that's yeah. what I, I found from the get go. Yeah, who again, without lacking, not necessarily lacking a moral compass, but lacking oh. any kind of direction. Right, he was a guy who had no. Well, he, he was would, clinging to religion as his, yeah, as, as his, his direction. Right, right, right. yeah. And, and as, his wife as most of us at this table know, we're <laughs> we don't believe in clinging to religion. For, Come on, uh, <laughs> well, for the purpose of guiding your life. I mean, it's a good. good <laughs> All thing right, to that's have, but podcast. let's yeah, that's a whole other podcast. Let's not go there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I just love this character. Oh, he is amazing. For how he plays, how he plays the character, they just the the incessant awkwardness of the character, yes, um, or the righteousness that he has. Like, yes, I'm above everybody else, and it's you're funny. doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong for these reasons. And then in his own life, he is a fucking mess. Yeah, and in an instant, yeah. as like here we go. Back He's the ultimate s- hypocrite in this show. The Scorsese characters go as you think they're on the rise, doing the right thing. He immediately snaps, yeah, yeah. And, does, yeah. and completely goes, uh, does a one eighty on you, and he becomes again where all these characters <laughs> are. Boardwalk Empire becomes a villain, right? And, and I actually think you were yeah, on yeah. something, Michael, when you were kind of going into the religion thing, which is to say, you know, we, we made it. We made a statement that Nucky was somewhat using Margaret to feed his ego in terms of the good that he was doing to feed her. You know, he's being righteous about religion at a certain point. Totally. The judgment yeah. that he's doing. And that may be a way for him to mitigate the demons he has inside of exactly. him. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but like, counterbalance, right? It's a classic Scorsese move, like you were saying. And it's not just Van Alden, it's all these characters. As soon as they stand up, they cut their legs out. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're, they're always themselves. falling yeah. down constantly, right. and it's amazing. One thing that we haven't mentioned yet that I I find to be one of my favorites is is the introduction of Chucky, uh, excuse me, Chucky White. Chucky, absolutely. And I was holding that off because he, oh, yeah. he just might be my favorite character. He might I'm be not mine, sure too. Yet. We could probably, spend, uh, we could probably yeah. do a whole podcast yeah. on we'll, we'll come back to But I actually yeah. think the relationship between Nucky and Chucky is very similar to the one between Nucky and Margaret, which is to say, oh, on the face of that's it, interesting. they wow. they seem you think at first like maybe there's this brotherhood between them, right? There seems to be some modicum of loyalty or agreement mm. or at least brother in arms, and or are they just using each other? They are clearly using clearly each using other, each right? And, but and and that I think you find out later down the road, especially in season. Four, really, but I mean, it is interesting how they both seem to have this, which immediately, because of the circumstances, when you add the you know racial plotline to it, yeah, you, it sort of bolsters you know thinking, well, how brave Nucky is, you know, standing up to the KKK, right, and all and this. Chalky's name, and yeah, but it is again so Machiavellian, so pragmatic, so yeah, it's so there's any number of reasons behind it, although. On its face, like it was unheard of. I mean, I, I have to imagine. I would it think that at the time it, it, it was. It was fairly of. rare. If yeah, nothing else. It was not time. a common thing. Yeah, and it's, right, it's, it's but amazing. it wasn't also confined to the warehouse at Chalky's. He was, right. you know, in the Ritz and everything else. So I mean, it was yeah, fairly was open, you yeah. know, in terms of and <clears> the fact that they had the. Um, nightclubs that were owned by the African Americans that were frequented by yeah, yeah, it was 
So this is one thing I want to come back to because um, during season one, uh, Jimmy is frustrated. Nucky, and he's doing all kinds of stuff on behalf of Nucky, and it's not right. And Nucky says, all right, get out of here. Just right. get, get out of my face. Yeah. Really key lost. to the story. Go to Chicago. Yeah, I, go to Chicago. Cool off. We'll get you back here eventually. He doesn't say that, but it's kind of implied. Um, so in Chicago... Jimmy gets a girlfriend, apparently, uh, yeah. some sort of prostitute in the one of the uh, Capone-run bars or... Jotorio, I think. Jotorio. Yeah. Uh, 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 it's a brothel. Facilities, yeah. we'll just call it that. <laughs> a multi-purpose facility. Multi-purpose facility. Um, it's, like, it's, like, it's like an indoor batting cage place exactly. now. Exactly. Only exactly. A Dave different and Busters? Bats. Yeah, Dave and Busters. It, oh, it <laughs> is <laughs> different Busters. All kinds of games for everybody. Yeah. There's alcohol. It's great. Uh, Chicago hasn't changed anything. <laughs> no. So her name is Pearl. And there's a whole thing there. But one thing I wanted to point out is that, uh, and this comes out in the, the, the Blu-ray uh, commentary, is that uh, uh, the one scene where... Uh, I forget who, uh, whatever gangsters, uh, <laughs> I can't follow. There's too many characters. I know, right? Um, they they want to stick it to Jimmy in some way. They, they want to send a message to Jimmy. Right. So they're going to um, hurt his girlfriend, right. uh, Pearl. Yeah. And they grab her, they go up there, and they grab her by the throat, and they slice her face. Yeah. yeah. From, like, the top of the corner of one for, part of her forehead down across her eyes, down to her face, other way. So that's essentially the exact same scar that Michael K. Williams, Chalky White, has in real life. Hmm. Is that right? He he had a scar, He and he said he cannot watch that scene, and still to this day <gasps> hasn't watched it, because wow. it's so reminiscent of what happened to him. Oh, my God. He was in a bar fight however long ago. Got cut off. A friend of his was getting about to get his ass kicked, he got involved to try and stop it. Before anything really started, a guy had a box cutter of some sort oh and slashed him. Oh, my yeah. God. Slashed him across the face. So he can't watch it. So, And, and this is the guy who's been in The Wire and whatever else. Right. I mean, he's, he's a very handsome guy. Yeah. Good-looking guy. A fantastic actor. Yeah. Um, in a million things. But he's like, I can't watch that scene. It's like, it's disturbing because that's what happened to me. Ugh. The same cut. And it, and it was... It was did they do that by di- oh no, it's total coincidence. It was coincidence. Okay, the director didn't realize it, and it was a whole thing. But, yeah. I never really did quite understand what the point of that was, and then she later died. They were yeah, they were sending, they were trying to hurt yeah. Jimmy and send him away with a message, basically. I mean, that's just yeah. brutal gangster stuff, I guess. I guess. Yeah, I think it was yeah. That's um, exactly what it was. All right, so. <laughs> We're like halfway through season one. I know. Let's let's get. I we've got to talk. But I mean, the bottom line is that um, the whole the whole plot line was really about Jimmy going to Chicago so that those connections could be yeah. made, and that's really what's furthering the story is the Al Capones with the Joe Torrios, yeah. and then of course always with New York with Rothstein and yeah. his crew. And th- one thing we need to touch on before we go on. Is the character character of Arnold Ross? Oh my God, that Amazing. actor is Amazing. phenomenal! Absolutely Amazing. unbelievably good. Amazing, and uh, the vocal cadence, true to form to what Rothstein sounded like at the time, is that according right? to all historical yeah. data, is that that is the kind of the cadence he talked in. He was very proper. He was very yeah. The uh, guy was really could not stand it when people would curse. 
So apparently, the actor Michael Stuhlberg, mm-hmm. um, or Stuhlberg, Stuhlberg. Um, has a. Uh, he was doing before Boardwalk Empire. He was doing a play with the guy who ended up playing Eli. Oh, Nucky's. God, we haven't even talked about it. Nucky, Nucky's uh, we're brother. A, we're yeah. I mean, we we're, haven't talked about. We're trying to wrap up a whole season. In I know. Yeah, we, we really went too long. But no, no. Sorry. I think we're doing. So that. I think anyway, we're doing those two guys worked in a play when they were hired for Boardwalk Empire. Neither knew the other one had been hired until they showed up on set the same day. Oh, wow! Interesting. But. Uh, the Rothstein guy, he was so well researched that the the uh, uh, directors would say, do this or do that. And he would say, no, I think Rothstein would do this because of, and he would spout five reasons why this guy would do this a certain way. He knew the character so well. I, wow. Absolutely. I think, you know, we, we you know in some of our notes we have, we talk about creepiest characters. And Arnold Rothstein, I think, was just genuinely a creepy guy. Yeah. He was always about... How he could fix things and how he could, you know. What's he most famous for? Well, he's the most famous World for fixing team. my team's World Series. Right. Um, awesome. I'd like to think that I have a little personal connection to that as well. You do. Doc Graham. Doc Graham. Doc Graham. Moonlight Graham. Explain that, please. What are you talking about? Oh, you don't about? know that story? I don't know your story. Oh, this is a great oh, story. Oh, it's a great story. My dad is from Chisholm, Minnesota. Yeah. And in Chisholm, they had a doctor for, a school doctor for all the kids in the school. And the school doctor was Doc Graham. He had um, suffered this blow to his uh, reputation after being involved. He played baseball and uh, was sent up to the range. Played baseball with who? He was on the White Sox. The 1919 Black White Sox. Sox. Yep. Yeah. Who Rothstein famously, did he actually fix the, he fixed the World White Sox? Series. He did, yeah. He fixed it. All right. Um, he definitely did, without question. <laughs> Those guys were not making a lot of money back then, and yeah. it was just, it was too easy to buy them off, and he offset the what he was paying them with what he was gambling against them on. Well, so, that's the interesting part about the guy is that he is so composed and yeah. he is so proper, but he has clearly got a compulsion. Oh my God! Unbelievable he, around yeah. gambling. That a he gambling addiction. Not. I mean, yes. It's not. It's beyond even yeah. addiction. It's it is who beyond he, right. It's addiction. who right. he is. Right. It I is mean, really just a. Com- uh, he's just compelled. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It, everything that drives him involves gambling. Yeah. And. Uh, and really, everything that drives him is around fixing gambling. It's yeah. not even about the yeah. gamble. Right. It's about making the odds work so him. far in your favor that it's not worth not doing it. So and it that, ceases to become gambling. That comes right. back That's to really haunt him in it. Oh. season three, I think, when he's gambling in Nucky's place and yes. he fixes he the, the, the game and it's a whole yes. issue. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, that's definitely an interesting yeah. point. And. Before we jump ahead, yep, I just want to throw ahead. one more character out there that we haven't even touched on yet. But the Commodore played right. by this. Oh, I wanted my right. love, DB, right. uh, Dabney yeah, Coleman. Yeah, Coleman right. in an epic kind of... Uh, Swan song of a career. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's a guy who has been very, extremely prolific in almost a, uh, a secondhand kind of a way throughout his career. Yep. He's been in countless dozens of movies. Oh, yeah. He always does a phenomenal job. He always plays... Somewhat of a foil. I mean, he I, does, and he's always very, very true to. Yeah, he's, he's believable he is, in everything he does. He's yeah, believable, and he he displays no interest in, in being liked. Right? No, no, he just none. Wants to Absolutely do what, none. 
what is what is asked of the character. And the Commodore to me is is probably the most despicable oh, character from season doubt, one. Michael. So we learn that. Uh, I mean, the Commodore is sort of a background character, not really there until the final couple... Three or four, yeah, episodes. two or three episodes, right. And we find out that, A, uh, before the bad the bad stuff, this, this is the, the light stuff. Yeah. The, that uh, yeah. the Commodore was involved with Nucky on an election-fixing scam, and the Commodore went to jail for it, effectively taking the fall for Nucky. Right. And when the Commodore got out... Nucky had taken the Commodore's place as the guy. The guy in Atlantic City, City. right. And the Commodore's pissed about this. He wants to be back in the game, but he's not. The bad part that we find is the Commodore basically employed Nucky to do his his bidding. I mean, to do whatever. And one of the things he did is Nucky found Jillian on the boardwalk or somewhere, uh, brought 13-year-old Jillian to the Commodore... As his offering, offering that's a it's great a word, only way to put uh, it. And Jimmy was conceived. J- Jillian gets pregnant at 13 or whatever, hence, she's so young in the show compared to Jimmy. Um, and uh, Jimmy is Commodore's son, correct? And that is that, that relationship is revealed at the end of the show, right? right. Uh, I think it's the last uh, episode, and Gret- right? Gretchen Mollen. Tour de force. So I don't know. Before this, she should win an award. Before this series, I didn't know her for anything except for Rounders. Right. She was Matt Damon's girlfriend in Rounders. Great in Rounders too. (laughs) Great movie. Yeah. No, I I never really had any affinity. But this this is a. I mean, this is the role of a lifetime. She's in in the role in the running for creepiest character too. Oh my god! Absolutely. I mean, the second season is when she gets really creepy, but. Um, right. Sorry, Michael. The beauty of the beauty of the Scorsese vehicle is that everybody's in the running. For <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, they're yeah. It's it's not whether or not you're in the running. It's whether or not or how long you're in. Right. You know how far deep you are into the running. Right. So I, I mean, at the end, we have the situation where Eli, the Commodore, and Jimmy are all. Gang up, yeah. cahoots, gang up on Nucky, and Eli has been shot at some point with all the uh, mob mob stuff that's been going on. So when we're really, really waiting to see what's going to happen, and Jimmy's poised to, you know, the season ends with Jimmy poised to be a central character again. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, all right. So that's effectively season one. It is. Yeah. Um. All right. One of the things I want to talk about, and this is backtracking a little bit, but uh, sort of a, a, it can continue beyond uh, season one, is this, when this season started, um, the first season, when the, when, the, when the series started, was the first time I had heard the name Tim Van Patten oh. in probably 20 years. From the, Van, the White Shadow? From the White Shadow. But the Van he directs everything. The Van Patten's direct everything. Yeah. I hadn't. I was not into the Sopranos. I, I never. It, just, really? it, it passed me by. They are I, I was epic. Right. Uh, not only it. Uh, not only a directing get family. Get Blu-ray, my friend. But a uh, but a um, a tennis playing family. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Remember the nineteen seventies. Yeah. Battle of the Network. Battle stars? of the Network stars. <laughs> oh my god. Dick Van Patten was the, oh, this patriarch of this tennis playing 
uh, movie and TV directing Most crew. beloved father of All the right. 70s. You know, I mean, eight oh is enough, Oh my god, right? are you kidding? Have we talked enough about Tim Van <laughs> No, 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 we haven't. Actually, no. Tim Van Patten. He deserve so, Well, he is a, he's I a fantastic at least, director. I want to at least touch on my relationship to Tim Van Patten for a second. There's a relationship. <laughs> There's a relationship. So, the summer between, no, yeah, between eighth grade and freshman year in high school. Um, getting ready for football. Okay. Uh, drinking my Joe Weider weight gainer shakes, shakes, trying to get this from 120 pounds eighth, to 130 What did you say, 8th grade and freshman? Yeah. Were you in Dallas? I would have been in California on my way to Dallas. On your way to Dallas. Uh, so. Robbie the robot. Every, <laughs> all right. <laughs> every, uh, every day during the week, we'd go to the beach or whatever, but before practice, before bo- football practice, I would, uh, in California, I would sit down and watch an episode or two or three of The White Shadow. It was a marathon on every afternoon. Nice. Tim Van Patten, Salami. Salami. The greatest white player on TV at that point. At that point. It was amazing. Amazing. You learned a lot of life lessons, too, from the coach, right? Well, so here's my connection. Not so much Salami Van Patten. Uh... (laughs) Was Ken Howard the coach, the White Shadow? The White Shadow, yes, yeah. he was the White Shadow. My dad, I believe, played against him a couple times. Oh, in, in No, in upstate New York high school basketball. Oh. They are they are New York family, and but he may have played him here or there, or whatever. But more importantly, they went to some sort of a I don't know if it was a junior high or, or high school leadership camp of some sort. Like a student government type of a uh-huh. thing for a weekend or a week or whatever. Um, and they were like, I don't know if it was roommates or they were friends in Good this job sort of... getting the facts to the story, by listen, the way. Listen, I'm too old for facts at this point. <laughs> it's fast and loose. Let's go. Um, so he knew him fairly well from this like leadership camp, not so much the basketball stuff. Uh, he went on to... I mean, my dad played in college and this guy played in college. and uh, But... Uh, so yeah, my connection and to the White Shadow. And he also became the owner of Cable Town. He did. Cable Town. <laughs> and my dad worked at Comcast. It all sort of comes together. What's up, Cable Town. Right. Well, I mean, right. to give him his due, though, he oh, has been an extremely director. prolific director. Tim extremely Van Tim Van Patten. Yeah. yeah. What is he's, some of the other stuff he's done? Uh, well, I mean, he he has directed everything from episodes of the show Ed, which was on a lot of oh, yeah. The Wire, which was right. by far. I think that's where his connection to Boardwalk came in. Uh, multiple, countless episodes of The Sopranos, um, Deadwood. Mm. Remember Deadwood, which was a I great vehicle on the, the Gold Rush era. The gold, yeah, the Gold Rush era in the. Late 1800s, early yeah, 1900s. Yeah, yeah. Um, just has a, a Game of Thrones. He's directed episodes of Game of Thrones. I mean, this guy is, uh, uh, you know, they're an interesting family in that they have a lot going on there. And you don't really, you kind of hear their names or you see them on the screen as they're as it's kind of flying by. Yeah, uh, It's the Penny Marshall thing, right? Everyone right. thinks of her as Laverne. Everyone thinks of Van yeah. Patten's as Eight is Enough. Well, there's a little bit more to it than that, right? There's some depth there. He didn't direct all the episodes, but... Uh, I mean, Not all, a, but... A, no, no, a, a healthy amount, yeah, right? Yeah. And so, same thing with Sopranos. He didn't, direct, he didn't direct all of those. Yeah. And uh, Scorsese's good about moving people around, like, yeah. hey, I want, I want this to go in a different direction. But he's got a core group of 
I don't know, three well, yeah, or four I mean, directors, they sort of rotate. They rotate around. But it, it each episode's it, got its little tweak. Yeah, know? and it gives it the nice twist where yeah. really when you when you get to it on a Sunday night when it's in season, you don't know what's gonna happen. Right. I, I mean, do think on a going. weekly show though, like this, like The Sopranos, like all the great HBO shows, the writers tend yeah. to take more responsibility without question than a director. But the directors can definitely tinge it. They can Absolutely. make it, they can make something seem different than another director might. Absolutely. Or or bathe it in a different light. And that's what I really like about the show is that week to week you might get an episode that's uh, I don't want to say flat because it's not the right word, right. but you might get a, an episode that's more dynamic. Uh, yeah, right. You, you might get this this more flow of personal information, or Some more of flow of like your the setup yep. is that all right. This week's episode is a total setup episode. Some episodes week, just get you from A to B. Right? Bunch of motherfuckers yeah. are going to die. Next week. <laughs> I mean, I'll, I when some there have been episodes of of this where that's I've right. gone. Oh my god, next week's going to be a massive bloodbath. Okay. They always come through us. So when we get to season three, that's the bloodbath. Uh, right. My, one thing I want to talk about season one, and we'll, we'll cut this off and go to season two, but season one, the sort of uh, overarching thread or the, the theme even going into it is that, and it's sort of a, I think, I think Jimmy tells Nucky this to his face, is you can't be half a gangster. Yeah. And that's what Nucky's trying to be the entire episode. Right. Half politician, half gangster, where does he lie? It's sort of a it's not you're not sure where he's at. The second episode kinda or the second second season continues that a little bit. By the third episode, he's a hundred percent gangster. Right. And, well, and we'll get there eventually. But uh Yeah. Oh season, he's getting there. Season two is almost that linking episode in between season one and season three. Right. Right. Well, he's really tested in season two, right? Yeah. I mean, between yeah. getting arrested, going to trial, having been shot, left for dead. A lot going yeah. on there. Um, All right. Let's pause it. I have to go to the bathroom. Okay. Take a break. <laughs> pause. I've got a set. Uh, Take a break. Brendan mm-hmm. O'Neill's guest network. Mm-hmm. Are you going to be tracking everything? Okay. Hello. All right. It's good. It's working. All right. Before we start season two, so I was watching the DVDs as usual my past couple weeks here. Um, some you have little kids, Michelle, so you, or a little, little kid. kid. You should make sure they see this or he sees this. Um, yours are too old, probably mine are way too old. Um, <laughs> Sesame Street. Yes. Did a Boardwalk Empire inspired. <sighs> Scene, really? A whole some, segment. I think it's some great called Birdwalk Empire. <laughs> <laughs> One of the characters is like is called Nucky Clucky or something to that effect. They're all birds. One group is ducks. One group is, is chickens. It's amazing and it's <laughs> terrible, but it's. Kid where, stuff. And where, was, where was the racism heavily laid on the ducks or on? The, uh, <laughs> mm, I'm thinking the chickens. The chickens. The misogyny. The ducks were misogyny racist toward the racism. chickens. <laughs> you know, that's a point we haven't even touched on: is the misogyny in, oh, in the entire it's, show. It's, it's just so. It's, it's the just 20s. A given yeah, for the I time. Mean, yeah. uh, it doesn't. I, I. I think it's just part of the backstory, but it. It, it is something that's very interesting to me. The way. Uh, there's a lot of casting off of uh, yeah. of women and women being treated in a misogynistic fashion. Um, it it's just another note that 
it's a completely different era. Well, I mean, I mean that's sort of that and the shoes. That's tied into, I I mean, I think uh, the the whole Margaret thing is that um, she's the one woman, maybe in the entire series, who has a brain. The rest of them are not involved. She's the smartest one of the lot, without question. Short of Jillian. Jillian, maybe. Jillian is very smart and very calculating. Genius. Calculating. Uh, That doesn't play out well for her long run because she plays too many. Listen, she's such a sad, sad sack. Um, oh, without question. I mean, she's a compelling character she's the because most disturbed. She's, she's so disturbed. disturbed and she's so amoralistic. Yet she has that whole backstory right. that story. makes it real, yeah. right? Uh, it doesn't make it real enough for me to make me that sympathetic for her. Yeah, but it makes it real. Yeah, how's that? Definitely, um, you are a product of your environment. Absolutely. Which is why you turned out the way you did. Oh, my parents <laughs> Sorry, have a lot Mr. of explaining O'Neil. to do. Uh, okay, there's two things that I want to point out. Texas. There are, <laughs> that's why I don't live there. Um, there's an, a number of things, like weird things, that not weird, but unique things that come up throughout the series. I'll point out two, and there's, there's probably a dozen of these different things throughout different episodes. And this may be back to episode one or, or, or season one or season two. I'm not sure, but things like they're early on. I think it's Nucky, or at least it's Mickey Doyle, and it's Chalky, and it's whoever random characters, and they're loading boxes of whiskey onto trucks or, or whatever it is. Um, they're processing the that week's take of whatever it is. Um, uh, at some point, Chalky says, like, something like, I'm going to kill those motherfuckers. Or this, damn, this is a motherfucker. And then he walks away. And then the other white character is like, motherfucker? What's a motherfucker? <laughs> As if no one ever heard that term. And, and in the, this little world, effective, Maybe no one had. effectively, Chalky White invented the term motherfucker, motherfucker. <laughs> in that episode. Credit. Which I found credit hilarious. Chalky White. I was laughing my ass off. Like, yeah, that... Had to come from somewhere. Maybe it was the twenties. I don't know. What I don't think it was. I don't if think it, if was. it was, if it was before that, it wasn't much before that, right? So it's I thought I mean, that's a, a little more modern lexicon, right? I mean, that's not yeah, it's not a big thing. But I caught that like, oh, that's very interesting. Like Chalky White, it's not exactly Garden of Eden speak in this he, world. He yeah, he might have sort of introduced this. it. Right, I love that. The other effect. one, and there's a number of these things, sort of historical references for like. Idioms or phrases mm-hmm. or common speak that you'll hear today, and you don't know anything about it, but back then it had a, a, a reason or a cause. Right. One of those was the the real McCoy. Oh. And you see this. I think it's season one. Um, one of the rum runners on the boats who would get alcohol from the Bahamas and bring it into the eastern seaboard was uh, William McCoy. Ah. And he was known as he was not a drinker. He was not a lawbreaker. He was sort of a uh, an honest criminal. And when you when Nucky or whoever, and I think in this case Nucky and his team are, are receiving uh, shipments from Bill McCoy, McCoy uh, he is the source of the phrase "the real, the real McCoy. McCoy." If you got stuff from him, you know it wasn't diluted and it yeah, wasn't it, was, it wasn't uh, gut rot whiskey. 
it was the real stuff. So hence, the real McCoy Love it. is now out there. But there's, if you watch the first, say, three or four, um, there's only four seasons, but say three seasons, there's like one of those in almost every season that comes out like, oh, I didn't realize that's the source of that. That, right. So, right. Those are bad. The 20s were a great time. I mean, they it introduced a lot of different things to, to the United States and... and it really was a, an epic time of change in this country. Well, uh, beyond out, you know, and this is expanding and breaking out from the show, but it just people's people changed the way they were from the teens to yeah. the twenties very rapidly, and accelerated that through the end of the twenties, <coughs> and then it kind of fell off in the thirties, and everything went back to that. Yeah. What what became was the Great War, right? Right. I mean, it became the norm like that. The holistic, uh, you know, the mom, the dad, the white picket fence, you know, the... Well, you had the first war, and then you had all these people saying, hell, we may die tomorrow, it's the Great War, this is as bad as it's ever going to get, and you had this sort of exuberance about what's next. And I do think, as crazy as it sounds, prohibition was a function of good tensions, right? You had well, a lot of people with a lot of drinking problems. The road and to hell was paid No, and the truth is right. the women wanted to vote, and that's how they got it done. The temperance and, movement? Right. The well, temperance I mean, movement was satisfied by getting the vote. Suffrage, right? right? I mean, and yeah, it's, it's exactly. like... And can one be tied to the other? I don't know that you can clearly... Of course. They well, I don't, I don't know that you can clearly tie the two together. I you think know. that Nucky did a the show did a great job. Well, the of show showing did that. show that. Yeah. But what's real and what's? There's no doubt that the that the motivation for prohibition was basically that you know we these women country. had a had a bunch of problems with a bunch of drunk husbands. And they figured if they could get the stuff outlawed, that their lives would improve. And the politicians came in and said, we'll do this for you, but you better vote our way. And that's the way it worked out. It was a changing in... Under the guise of progress. Yeah, but, I mean, putting aside, holding off some of the, uh, I guess, larger cultural (laughs) implications, it was effectively a chain... A legislative change in the diet of the Americans. When they came over 200 years prior, 150 years prior, so much of the liquid they consumed was alcoholic. Right. For safety reasons. It was pickled. Right? I think that lasted for a long, long time. I mean, even kids would have... uh, There was a name for it, but uh, a lesser alcoholic beer. Yeah. Um... And I think that continued beer. for a long time. Near beer. Perfect. Uh, and I think, pick the date, 18-something, it became where people were just getting drunk, and it became out of control. And that continued, and it was, I think it was years and years of <laughs> women, like, fed up with this bullshit, and then the temperance movement kind of came into right. vogue, yeah. into uh, being, and forcing the hand of politicians to, all right, yeah, but they These guys are nothing. fucking idiots. We got to get them yeah, off get them the streets. That's right. true. People are but, but women had absolutely no standing and no right. power. The only right. way that the temperance movement moves up is when, is when, a man, when the men see it beneficial to them. Of course, and the of course. only way men see the temperance movement as beneficial to them 
is by getting a voting public to black behind them. I right. mean, that's that's right. the reality of the situation, yep. and they they politicize that as much as anything else. So uh, clearly, the lo- the rules weren't enforced. Clearly. Sorry for the abrupt end of the show, but for the first few episodes where we recap each season, we recorded them all in one sitting and needed to break up the discussion into consumable, bite-sized pieces centered around each season. Thank you for listening to the Boardwalk Breakdown podcast, and follow us on Twitter at Boardwalk Break. Future episodes of this podcast will focus on a single episode of Boardwalk Empire.